evening, Raleigh. It is Tuesday, September 11th, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. I'm DeAndre Jones. And I'm Jake Langlois. We've got a great show for you this week, a lot of stories from a lot of places. This week, Jake brings back his experience of what it was like at the Democratic National Convention, and Amanda interviewed an, an organizer from the Republican National Convention, so be sure and stick around for that. In addition, Herman Cain is coming to town. More on that later. Also, food farms, holidays of the week, and so much more. But before all of that, let's see what's up this week in the news uh, and the weather. Dave? Thanks, Jake. Well, we've been lucky to stumble upon a couple of perfect days as far as weather goes, and it looks like we're going to go a couple more days with that trend this coming week. We'll get down to a crisp 54 degrees tonight, then we'll warm up to another sunny 80 degrees tomorrow. We have 0% chance of rain both tomorrow and Thursday. We're going to get up to 82 degrees on Thursday and down to 63 that night. Friday and Saturday are going to get up to 82 and 84 degrees respectively with 10% chance of rain on both of those days. Sunday and Monday are going to be a little more iffy as far as rain goes with a 20% chance of precipitation and some cloud in the sky both of those days. And we're going to be uh, about 80 to 82 degrees on those days as well. Uh, Next Tuesday is the next day that I would definitely recommend you bring that umbrella out of the closet again since we have 30% chance of rain due to some isolated thunderstorms rolling in. Overall, though, this is going to be a very enjoyable week with highs in the low 80s and lows in the mid-60s. Enjoy this warm weather while we've got it, folks, and thanks for listening. Back to you, DeAndre. Yeah, Dave, it's definitely getting a lot cooler outside. Absolutely. And now we turn to Andrew for the latest in the news. Andrew? Thanks, DeAndre. Egyptian protesters stormed the U.S. Embassy in Cairo today. Claiming to be protesting a film that insults the Prophet Muhammad, they tore down an American flag outside the compound and replaced it with a black flag reading, There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. Egyptian police have formed a barricade keep barricade keeping the crowd from advancing further into the embassy. The film the protesters are referring to is thought to be a low-budget documentary produced by Terry Jones, a Florida pastor who threatened to burn a Koran on September 11th, two years ago. And still developing, a Libyan militia has burned down a U.S. consulate in Benghazi, the Libyan, uh, nation of Libya's second-largest city. It is, thought to be that, it is thought that there was nobody inside at the time. And no deal has been reached between Chicago public school officials and the city's teachers' union. Since the teachers announced their strike Sunday evening, the city's 350,000 children have had had two unscheduled days off. The union president has confirmed that the strike will not be settled by tomorrow morning. And that's the news. Thanks for that, Andrew. We spoke with Jake last week when he was at the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte. Now, here is his full report. This was the sound of downtown Charlotte last week as a who's who of the Democratic Party descended on the city for the 2012 Democratic National Convention. Every four years, each of the major political parties convenes in a city somewhere in the United States with the intention of officially nominating their candidate for president of the United States. It has become more and more common in recent years for the parties to choose cities and states that they believe will be key battleground states for that election year. This year, North Carolina is expected to be a very important battleground state and one that is currently very hotly contested. The Democrats are hoping to hold on to this state in the same way they did in 2008. And so, for three days in early September, one of the biggest political conventions in American politics was convened, right here in the Tar Heel State.
Democratic convention was not, of course, without its protesters. This group, standing on the corner of 5th and College Street, stood outside the Time Warner Cable Arena, chanting in Spanish. The city is upside down, they chanted, protesting what they believed to be the government's draconian immigration policy. Standing silently nearby was a member of the Occupy Wall Street movement who chose not to give his name. The protesters were eventually arrested for refusing to vacate the street. All throughout downtown, one was likely to find people from all walks of life protesting what they felt was either a party they thought went too far or did not go far enough. Opinions like this were not uncommon. People that felt the Democratic Party was not liberal enough, or people that believed the party had overstepped its boundaries, gone too far. A Tea Party protester would not grant me an interview, and although their presence was far smaller at the convention, they certainly made themselves known. But it wasn't just protesters out on the street. Besides convention goers, there were all sorts of street vendors peddling their Obama t-shirts and buttons, flags, calendars, and whatever else eager convention goers were willing to buy. Don't take your money to other countries. Put it in America, banks. Create jobs for America so that people can have work and they help the health care. Obama wants health care for the people, people that need it. Obama don't need it. He's a billionaire. But he wants to cut it off for people that do need it. So hats off to Obama. Job well done. He deserves one more time. And, of course, no convention would be complete without the characters, those dressed up in outrageous outfits, preaching about Obama, socialists, abortion. Take a pick. One very popular figure was a gentleman dressed as Abraham Lincoln. Republicans for Obama, his sign said. In an age of increasing polarization, he attracted a lot of attention. He wouldn't give me an interview, however. The reason? He was too hungover, he said. Inside the convention, Democrats from all over the country convened in caucuses throughout the day, meeting and discussing the issues that mattered to them. The Black Caucus, the Hispanic Caucus, the Women's Caucus, you name it, they had it. The Youth Caucus, for example, was a gathering comprised of Democrats under 36. This voting bloc was a key demographic for the Obama administration in 2008. 
And while the momentum of the last election wasn't quite there this time around, the Democratic Party wanted to ensure that the youth knew the party was doing everything they could to reach out to young voters. Social media, as in 2008, was huge. The campaign wanted to stress to voters of all the different ways they could connect with the campaign, donate, and volunteer in their local communities. It was extremely successful in 2008, but whether or not this strategy will be as successful this year remains to be seen. But the real events weren't until later in the evening, where over the course of three days, prominent Democrats, up-and-comers, businessmen, and more took to the lectern to energize the crowd. Someone who has become somewhat of a spokesperson for women in this election is Sandra Flute, who, as you may remember, came to prominence after testifying to Congress about the importance of access to contraception. speakers were Julian Castro, the mayor of San Antonio, Elizabeth Warren, who is currently running for Senate in Massachusetts, and Michelle Obama. Wednesday night was the actual nomination, offered by none other than elder statesman Bill Clinton. Mr. Mayor, fellow Democrats, we are here to nominate a president. Bill Clinton has become wildly popular among Democrats in recent years, and Wednesday night was no exception. In some way, it was to the Democrats' advantage to have their convention go second, as it allowed them to retaliate to the Republican charges and to poke fun at the opposition. President Clinton, with his folksy charm and wit, did not leave the Democrats disappointed. So President Obama and the Democrats didn't weaken Medicare, they strengthened Medicare. Now, when Congressman Ryan looked into that TV camera, and attacked President Obama's Medicare savings as, quote, the biggest, coldest power play. I don't know whether it will ever drop. <laughs> because that $716 million is exactly to the dollar the same amount of Medicare savings that he had in his own budget. It takes some brass to attack a guy for doing what you do. And when Barack Obama came out in a surprise appearance after President Clinton's speech, there seemed to be no animosity between the two, a stark contrast to 2008 when Mr. Clinton had some differing opinions with then-candidate Obama. 
And so, in a move that surprised no one, Barack Obama accepted the Democratic Party's nomination for the 2012 presidential race. As it stands, many people are calling the race too close to call. Here in North Carolina especially, it has been neck and neck, and nobody is really sure if Barack Obama can keep the historically red state blue for just one more election. Around the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois. This week, one of our contributors, Amanda, spoke with David Lewis, a state legislator and one of the many organizers of the Republican National Convention. He gave us a peek behind the curtain of just what goes into staging a national political convention. For each presidential election cycle, one of the highlights is always the national convention of each of our two main political parties, where the presidential hopefuls accept their party's nominations. And now is North Carolina Representative David Lewis, a Republican National Committee man, with his perspective on how to organize and conduct an event for 50,000 people from every state in U.S. territory. So I was just wondering if you could give us some information about what goes into planning an event as large as the Republican National Convention. Well, um, when you are trying to plan an event as large as the Republican National Convention, there is a process that you go through where cities or sometimes a group of cities actually bid for or compete against each other for the right to host the event. And the RNC, which I'm a member of, sets up a selection committee to review the offers that the cities put forward and try to decide uh, which city that we think can do the best job, which city perhaps is located in a state that is a swing state that may help us gain some votes, and we make our choices based on those criteria. And, of course, once we select the city, then you have to go through and um, be sure there are enough accommodations for everyone that's going to be there. There are, of course, security concerns that need to be addressed. You have to go through a credentialing process where you decide what um, each state will be allowed in terms of the amount of votes that it casts. Is there a reason that Tampa was chosen to host the event this time? I know uh, in the case of the Republican National Convention that the Tampa and St. Pete's area had actually bid on the two prior conventions and hadn't been selected. So they would always say that the third time was the charm, that they had won the third, the third time. What actually takes place during the time of the convention? There are several different parts of actually putting on the convention. There's the official business part, which frankly doesn't get any coverage on TV, or at least not much. That's where you approve your party's platform, which is a list of ideas and values that your party stands for, and you approve the rules by which your party operates. And then there's the more made-for-TV part of it, in which you feature, of course, your uh, presidential and vice presidential nominees, but also a lot of your up-and-coming um, 
stars of the party, if you will. We featured this year a lot of uh, governors and members of Congress who are really making a difference every day. And it's through them that we're able to showcase the values and the ideas of today's Republican Party. So a lot of your speakers that you invite to come in are people who you expect to see things from in the future? Is that correct? Well, yes. They are people that we expect to see things from in the future because they are people that are showing us real leadership and real excitement now. But since you are at the Republican National Convention, what do you think is the main issue of this election cycle for those of us who are college age? I think the main issue for those who are of college age or have just graduated from college is really the same issue that most of us are concerned with, and that is uh, jobs and the economy. We have got to find a way to reduce the unemployment rate. I read today where the unemployment rate for people between the ages of 18 and 25 is nearly 17%, which is almost 10 points higher than the national average. And we have to find a way to create the opportunities for all people, but certainly for young people, to be able to use their talents and use their skills to make a better life for themselves. And I think that is the number one issue for people that are uh, in college now, people that have recently graduated from college, but frankly, there are a lot of folks that may be 10 or 20 years into their career who are very much what we call underemployed. They have a lot more talents and a lot more skills, but they're stuck, if you will, in the job that they have because there aren't any other opportunities out there. And in a way, that actually shuts the door for um, people your age. Uh, they can't get the entry-level jobs because the folks that are holding those uh, are afraid to let, to let go of them. So I think certainly uh, jobs and the economy as a whole are the most important um, things on all voters' minds. For something a little bit closer to home, what do you think is going to be an upcoming issue for our General Assembly session? Next year's General Assembly is going to focus on a pragmatic approach to making it easier to do business in North Carolina. We think the way to bring business to North Carolina, to help business expand in North Carolina, to help businesses hire good North Carolinians and put them to work is to try to rein in and um, reduce some of the overly burdensome government regulations that we've developed over the years. There are many, many instances where North Carolina's uh, regulations are more stringent than are required by the federal government and much more stringent than those required by states surround us. We're going to untangle that and we're going to make North Carolina a place that businesses 
want to locate and those that are here find it easier to expand, easier to grow. Nobody is going to do anything that lessens the quality of life or lessens the pristine beauty of our state. But we have just created a situation where, especially as the economy slowed down, that bureaucrats in Raleigh, to justify their jobs, spending more and more time inspecting and worrying about and creating permits and new requirements and new rules for those of us that are out there trying to provide jobs. And we're going to do all that we can do to make it easier to do business in North Carolina. For Eye on the Triangle, this has been Amanda Burns. We're going to take a quick break. Let's stick around. we got more on the way. Welcome back to Eye on the Triangle. Herman Cain is coming to town. You remember him? Yeah, him. He'll be on campus tomorrow. Andrew has more. Herman Cain will be speaking at NC State's Stewart Theater tomorrow evening. The former Republican presidential candidate and Godfather's Pizza CEO gained popularity with Tea Party members last year and received widespread attention for his unconventional 999 tax plan and offbeat YouTube videos. He suspended his campaign after numerous allegations of adultery and sexual harassment were brought against him. Mr. Kane is now visiting campuses across the country as part of his College Truth Tour, in which he professes, uncertainty is killing this economy, and the American people are sick and tired of excuses. They are sick and tired of the blame game. The event is set to begin at 6, and tickets are still available at collegetruthtour.com. Again, that's collegetruthtour.com. And he will be speaking at Stewart Theater at 6 p.m. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen. And I uh, just want to go ahead and explain to anyone who's confused by the Pokemon music. Um, some people might remember Herman Cain used a couple of Pokemon speeches in some of his speeches, a uh, couple of Pokemon quotes in some of his speeches last year, so... Um, that's the reasoning behind that. So now that the conventions are over, the official campaign season is in full swing. And we were just curious, will you be voting this November? We sent some of our contributors to find out. It was once said that an individual who decides not to vote gives away his or her right to determine the quality of life he or she will live. It only takes one person to be the example and others will surely follow. That one person is you. The importance of voting has reached an all time high. Last year, students between the ages of 18 to 29 made up 24% of the voter eligibility. As if that wasn't enough, our generation is said to make up one-third of the voter eligibility in the year 2015. Now, whether you believe these numbers or not, the fact still remains that your vote matters. There is no question as to whom you are voting for, but rather, will you vote when Election Day comes to North Carolina? A simple experiment concluded that a trip to your local McDonald's takes up to five minutes and might impact one's stomach, but a trip to the voting booth has been reported to take less than a minute, and it will certainly impact your life. Are you going to be that leader and vote come November?
Theodore Roosevelt said that a vote is like a rifle. Its usefulness depends upon the character. So remember, before you think about what you're going to eat for Thanksgiving, think about what time you're going to the voting booth. For Eye on the Triangle, this is Jasmine Shepard. The Phillips Farm recently partnered with the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina in an effort to, put, to combat hunger here in North Carolina. DeAndre Jones went to find out more. Corn mazes, playgrounds, and pumpkin patches. Sounds like a traditional October night in North Carolina. Tack on zombies and ghouls, and we've got one hell of a night. Those are all things that Philip Farms is providing very soon, as well as a food drive that presents a possibility to help with the less fortunate and reduce emission costs. Philip Farms and the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina partnered together for this wonderful project and were kind enough to sit down with me to tell you all about the details of their corn maze. I'm sitting here in the studio today with a exciting new prospect or exciting new project. But first of all, can you guys give me your names and titles? I'm Louise Emery. I'm the marketing manager for Phillips Farms. Michael Phillips. I am the owner of Phillips Farms. And I'm Christy Simmons. I'm the manager of public relations for the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina. Okay, so to start off, I'm not even going to try and explain this project because it's so amazing and so good for the triangle that I'm just going to ask you guys to give a general overview of what you guys are doing exactly with this labyrinth. Phillips Farms is a um, working farm that's been in the community of Cary for approximately a little over 100 years now or more than that, actually. And um, after many years of farming the land and providing tobacco products and also um, strawberries and other things, um, they've moved on to agritourism. Um, about four years ago, Michael started a uh, maze in the area. And basically what that is, it's a cornfield that has a design cut into it where people can actually go in and get lost in the maze. You go in and have to figure a way out through a series of questions that we have. It's tons of fun. And every year we try to come up with a really cool new design. And this year we thought it would be a great idea to partner with the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina. As Christy said, we thought it would be a great partnership between the two organizations since we grow food part of the year to benefit them in some way. So our design this year in the maze is the logo of of the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina. And you will actually physically walk into the uh, rows that are in the shape of their 
logo. In addition to that, we have lots of other attractions for people to come out and see. We are um, we have a uh, playground that's lots of fun for kids. And in the evenings during the month of October and also the last weekend of September, we um, we run a haunted farm. But for admission to the maze during the day, instead of coupons this year, we are doing a food drive for the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina. Anyone who brings in two cans can get a dollar off their admissions. So we will have some details on our website about exactly how that's going to work coming in a few weeks. And uh, But we encourage all the students to come out, bring a couple of cans of food, spend a day on the farm, have a good time, come back in the evening and get scared. So I know that we have a representative from the food bank in here. Can you tell me what exactly the food bank's involvement in this project is? Well, first of all, having grown up in eastern North Carolina, I'm just psyched anyhow to have a partnership with a farm for uh, my job. You know, the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina, we generally, our mission is to, uh, to make sure that no one goes hungry in our communities. What better partnership to have than to partner with someone who provides, you know, literally provides food products, produce, you know, for consumption. We're just sitting back at this point, waiting for it to grow in, waiting for them to open up the maze and to gather the donations that will be coming in. One of the things that the staff was interested in seeing was what type of design they were going to come up with because our name is the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina. So we were really psyched to see how they were going to make that into a maze, and they've done an awesome job. So we really can't wait for the aerial views to... um, you know, to be shown um, so that the communities can see and get psyched about coming out. And how exactly did you guys make that maze? First of all, it's a corn maze with the pumpkin patch. And also we have Christmas trees and strawberries. My main project is the corn maze and the pumpkins, as well as partial of the Christmas trees. We actually don't grow them on location in the Triangle, but we grow them in the North Carolina mountains. As far as the preparation for the corn maze, I usually start to cut up the land in around April, and we leave the corn out there in the field. We mow it down, so what we have to do is continuously cut it into the ground so it chops it up and it basically becomes fertile soil again for when we plant in July. Once we plant in July, it's very hectic after that. We have uh, irrigation we have to set up, which we have two ponds. We run from a PTO-driven pump from two tractors, and they're big irrigation reels and guns. They look like big irrigation guns. They shoot about 100, 120 feet over in a full circle. So imagine like your yard sprinkler except 20 times bigger. After we plant the corn, about two and a half to three weeks later, we plant the pumpkins. And that's fairly, we do that kind of old school because we have a 130. It's like a 1955 international or farmall tractor. It's just a tiny tractor, one row planter behind it. We take it down one row, skip one and come back and we plant our pumpkins that way. So right now I am just kind of in the midst of we've been blessed, truly blessed with a whole lot of rain this year. So I haven't had a big fuel bill or having to irrigate a lot has been excellent. So actually being here in the studio is actually pretty relaxing. Do you guys have any sort of idea of what sort of turnout you're going to have or is it just sort of speculation at this point? Well, as you know, it's it's a farm. So with weather, whatever good Lord brings, if, if we have great weather every weekend, and during the week this year, we're I'm hoping for around fifteen to eighteen thousand people. Yeah, we can we can blow that out of the water. It just it just really depends on how we're marketing ourselves, which I think we're doing a great job this year. And hopefully, people find it in their hearts that uh to come on out and help support this great cause that the food bank is offering, as well as what we're putting down on the table, so they can come have some fun and and donate and 
It's a great, it's a great cause. So, Michael, you already told us a little bit about your involvement and what you're doing personally for this project. For our other two guests, what are you two doing personally to prepare for this this big event? Well, personally, it was my position to approach the food bank and talk to them about how we could work together and get permission for their to use their logo. In addition to that, we've been um, working on getting the word out to the community, just letting them know what we're doing this year and how it's different to our past visitors. In addition to keeping up our website and our Facebook page and things like that, you definitely, if you go on Facebook and like Phillips Farms of Cary, if you look us up, you'll find us and you can like our page, get all the updates about the latest news about what's going on out there, when we're going to open, all that kind of stuff, find out about all the attractions. And uh, my job has basically been to get the word out. We've been working with some local businesses and partnering with us to do some more can drives. There are uh, a few local businesses are in the, the immediate area to the maze are planning to put out some boxes and gather cans as well. And just to help out with our final totals, we want to bring in as much as we can for the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina and help them out as much as possible. As far as the Food Bank's role, we are happy being the grateful recipients uh, of this awesome food corn maze. And we also our Special events and food drive team and our PR team will be assisting Phillips Farm in the promotion of the event. So, you know, we're in the background with it, but we definitely are grateful for this opportunity to partner with Phillips Farms. And we know, I just wanted to go back to something, too, um, that Michael said about the attendance, um, the expected attendance. That number can be blown completely out of the water with the support of NC State students. So we want you all to help blow that expectation, blow that number out of the water. You're already, um, um, your, your Greek uh, family here is already a consistent and longtime supporter of the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina. So, you know, we look to see you guys out there as well and just come out and support it. Yeah, definitely. NC State students, would, I think, are definitely going to flock to the concept part of the farm. You mentioned a little bit about support from NC State. What other places have been giving you support besides fraternities at NC State? Our main support right now has been from the Greek community, again, here at NC State. Um, there have been some smaller food drives from across the um, the campus, but that, that larger support has been from the Greek community, okay. and we're very grateful. And uh, social media, can you give us the uh, Facebook page one more time? Um, for Phillips Farms, you'll just search Phillips Farms of Cary. Um, it should come up very quickly. We also have a website, phillipsfarmsofcary.com. Um, all of our information is on there. Uh, I think for the food bank, it's you would just search the uh, food bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina, and you can like their page as well and get updates on what's going on there and ways you can volunteer and help out. It, also, if anyone is interested in um, working in our haunted portion, we are still looking for people to come out and scare, uh, still hiring some employees there. So if you're interested, get on our Facebook page and just send us a message. We'll respond with how you can apply. Well, that's all I've got for you guys this morning. I thank you all for coming into the studio. Are there any final thoughts before we get out of here? Go pack. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys. And for I'm the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. Today, of course, marks one of the darkest days in American history. It was the day that affected every American and people around the world. Here now is Selma on how these tragic events have affected Muslim Americans over the past decade. 9-11 was the most horrific attack to ever occur on American soil. It affected the lives of millions of Americans, emotionally and physically, and 10 years later, we can still see the after effects. American Muslims had it particularly rough because of their faith. Many other Americans who were hurting and demanding justice took out their frustration on those people who they deemed linked to the attacks. What many don't realize is that American Muslims were just as horrified and afraid as everyone else. 
I'm Ahmed Amir. I'm a junior in business administration. I was sitting in my fifth grade class trying to concentrate on a paper, and I remember not being able to concentrate because my birthday was coming up, so that was really all I could focus on. And then one of the neighboring teachers came into our classroom and turned on the TV, so I was thinking, oh, sweet, we get to uh, not do work and watch TV. So then I saw what was on, and uh, at first I was confused. I didn't really understand it until I got home, and my mom was watching the news as well, and she was on the verge of tears, and I just remember thinking, what the heck's going on? So um, when I was younger, it wasn't really perspective for me. It kind of you know, came into perspective as I got older. Many Muslim Americans, like the ones we see on state campus, were just kids when 9-11 occurred, and yet they still suffer the scrutiny many years later. My name is Dana Baloch. I'm a psychology and religious studies major. Um, I was in fifth grade at Elliman, which is an Islamic um, private school here in Raleigh. And um, we were in class, and the teachers just basically told us, like we were locked down in the classroom and told us that we had to um, evacuate, like, you know, leave the school. We got out after around 10 o'clock, so after both towers were hit. But no teacher would tell us what happened. Nobody would tell us what happened. We were scared. Like, the teachers were just telling us that, you know, we just have to leave. We're getting too many bomb threats and stuff. Um, after that, we didn't go to school for about two weeks because we had too many bomb threats. The, our mosque was vandalized mm-hmm. countless times. Um, and then we had a police officer watch the school for about six months to make sure we were safe. So, Dia Baraket, a business major junior, shares the same story as Zana Baloch. They went to the same school, but he differed in this way. And uh, that's when my mom decided um, it may be a good idea to switch to a public school. That's when I switched to... A public elementary school for that year and it's sad to say but I think I lost my Muslim identity that year I, I was I was somewhat scared of telling people that I was Muslim I was scared to walk with my mom sometimes in the mall or at Walmart or whenever we'd go shopping but in the end I still think that now it made me an even stronger Muslim and whenever somebody would ask I would proudly say it and as tragic as 9-11 was, I think there are a lot of things that came out of it that were for the benefit of not only Muslims, but of the world. The, the whole world came together, and um, they were somewhat unified. And just yesterday, the 10th anniversary for 9-11, we were able to have a uh, peace and solidarity event here in the Triangle. And in that, in that event, we were able to have the Christian, Jewish, and Muslim faith come together and kind of kind of talk about what what where they were and what happened and you know it's nice to see some open-minded people really come together and um, talk about a really sensitive issue um, and without 9/11 it would have been really hard to get the three faiths together and just talk about being unified. Muslim Americans experienced many hardships after the attacks, and many of them felt stronger for it. Personally, I mean, I was too little to understand the effect of the event on Muslims. Um, as a kid, it was just scary. It didn't, I didn't think my, like, I was being attacked because I was Muslim. I thought everyone was in danger, not just Muslims, like everyone in America. I didn't realize that America did get attacked, but even Muslims and American, like, American Muslims were feeling the victim of it even though we didn't really do anything so um but as i grew older i understood and i feel like it's made me a stronger person because i made me um 
educate myself about my religion and make sure I knew about things that people asked me about. So it helped me know more things about myself and my religion. 9-11 was hard for everyone, but it did affect some people for the better. Although 9-11 happened when I was only in fifth grade, it's nice to see that we see some positive effects 10 years later in that peace and solidarity event. It really brought unity among the three faiths, and it was an amazing event that I felt comfortable in being surrounded by people that understand what we really went through. 9-11 was the worst thing to happen to Americans, and specifically American Muslims. I remember I was in fourth grade in an Islamic school in Orlando, Florida. My dad had picked me up early that day, and he had said to the Islamic leader at our mosque that America would never be the same again. It hasn't been. But at least now, 10 years later, we're able to show and experience tolerance and unity. I'm Selma Abdulhai with Eye of the Triangle, and I hope you've been enlightened. And that was a story uh, by Selma from last year. She created for the 10th anniversary of September 11th, and we thought it was fairly relevant uh, considering what today is. Yeah, it definitely makes you think. And now here's lovely Lucia with Eye on the Arts. Good evening. Thank you for joining us for another segment of Eye on the Arts right here on Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm lovely Lucia. I'm joined here by Anna Wolf, senior in public relations and fellow arts entrepreneurship student here at NC State. Thank you for having me. NCSU has started a new entrepreneurship initiative throughout many of the colleges and the university, a part of the arts entrepreneurship minor. Would you like to tell us more about the minor, Anna? Of course. I first came across the minor last December when I met Dr. Gary Beckman, who came to NC State from South Carolina. With his help, we've been able to found a minor that allows students to pursue creative ventures and think about arts in a completely new way. Essentially, the minor acts as a channel for people to develop skills in marketing and developing a business that's formulated around the arts. All right, thank you. So you and a couple other arts entrepreneurship students have started a student organization for those students wanting to pursue an entrepreneurship venture in the arts. Would you like to tell the listeners more? Sure. The EMA, or Entrepreneurs Marketing the Arts, is a student organization that takes the skills that we've learned from the minor and takes them out of the classroom and into the Raleigh arts community. The organization was founded by several of the students within the Arts Entrepreneurship Minor, we all met through the Lulu E-Games last spring um, and were pursuing our own creative ventures. I was a part of Jant with Trent McKenzie. And essentially, we all just decided that we needed an outlet and a way to better connect ourselves and other students at NC State within a creative community and utilize various resources within Raleigh and kind of have a way to pursue our own ventures within Raleigh. So what resources do you believe the minor and the student organization could provide to other students? The minor and the organization allow people to learn how to market themselves as artists, how to grow their business, and additionally, how to approach arts within the Raleigh community and beyond. For those wanting to pursue a creative venture, are you looking for any specific talent or skill sets, or are you grabbing from a large pool of people? We have students in the minor as well as the organization from all different colleges around NC State. We have fashion students, design students, people from CHAS, 
even chemical engineers. We have a large pool of different talent, but what connects us all is the desire to be creative and to pursue this as something that will continue on and grow for many years in the future. Cool. So if any student listeners are interested in finding out more, where should they go? You can contact me, Anna Wolf, aewolf at ncsu.edu. That's A-E-W-O-L-F-E. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. Are there meetings that students can come to find out more information? Most definitely. We meet every other Thursday in 1403 Broughton Hall at 7 p.m. And if you can't make the meetings, then let me know additionally, and we can find some way to incorporate you into the organization as well. Thank you for joining us, and we invite all other students interested in the Art Entrepreneurship Minor to come out. Thank you. And even though today might be a day of solemn reflection, that doesn't mean there aren't plenty of things to be celebrating this week. Here now is Dave. Uh, Thanks, Jake. Today is, of course, Patriot Day and National Freedom Day as well. Of course. And, uh, you know, we do have a lot to think about and remember today. Very serious. Nothing Um, funny about that. Tomorrow we'll be doing um, some thinking about uh, the fact that tomorrow's Video Games Day and Chocolate Milkshake Day. (laughs) Now we're speaking my language. Those are holidays I can get behind. Chocolate Milkshake Day definitely should be celebrated. I don't know if we can get one anywhere on campus, but... Um, you, know, um, you can you can make your own uh, in the dining halls. Yes. Can you? Oh yeah. yeah they, oh, they, they have them um, in the library. Yes. Oh yeah. And uh, creamery. The creamery. creamery. Yeah. Good stuff. Go. There you there go. You go. Bam, bam. And they have video games right next to the creamery. So. Yeah. Video okay. games are everywhere. So. <laughs> Thursday is National Peanut Day, Uncle Sam Day, and it is both Fortune Cookie Day and Defy Superstition Day, which seemingly uh, <laughs> cancel each other out. Um, <laughs> so therefore, it is. Nothing like it's, it's just, just peanut day. day. <laughs> it's just peanut day. I guess day you could just day. get some Chinese food though with peanuts in it because it's because it's National <laughs> Peanut Day. I could totally go for that um, on Thursday. Um, Friday is National Cream Filled Donut Day, which is fairly self-explanatory. I'm not a fan of cream filled donuts. Oh, you, you can leave man. the studio right now. Yeah. I'm sorry. I like my donuts to be not full of cream. Honestly, you're right. you're not American. No, I kind of agree with that. I'd rather have a jelly-filled donut than a cream-filled mm. donut. Thank you. At okay, least, At least it's filled with something. Okay, right off the bat, no argument. Dunkin' Donuts, Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, what? All right, moving, moving along. <laughs> you, are you, from, are you right. from North Carolina, Jake? I'm from South Florida. Mm, that's why. Saturday uh, is Felt Hat Day, Make a Hat Day, and International Democracy Day. So get your hands on some felt. Go make a hat. Vote for something, if that's possible. I don't think we have any voting going on on Saturday, but hey, you know. There's plenty of internet polls that you can find (laughs) about random things. Democracy is not just our government, so, you know, everything is democratic where you can. Um, Sunday is International Day for the Preservation of the Ozone Layer, which I included mostly because the name is so long. Well, that's a Um, that's a pretty good cause. I mean, yeah, no one's going to be for depleting of the ocean. Stop breathing. And uh, I don't know. Exhalation. (laughs) I'm sure there's someone out there that doesn't want an ozone layer. They're probably crazy. <laughs> it's also Mayflower Day, which Mayflower you know, Day. Mayflower oh, is Day. that is that the landing in the Mayflower, or is that just? I don't know. I didn't. Look it up. <laughs> Somebody look it up. I mean, it's Mayflower you, Day, guys. Uh, it's Mayflower Day. We don't when, ask questions. When did they land at Plymouth, It's also Plymouth Rock. It's also. Stay I, I, away I don't from, know that that may be it. Is what I'm saying. Uh, well, someone maybe when they it. landed on Plymouth Rock. I don't know. Listeners, look that up. Yes, please. <laughs> Somebody post it on our Facebook wall so that we can be informed. Why by is you, Why the is listener. that day Mayflower Day? We're not um, sure yet. It's also stay away from Seattle Day, 
and Wife right. Appreciation Day. That Someone is rough. That Seattle has a holiday that's <laughs> made for people. And the the crazy thing is, it was made up. It seems by people from Seattle who uh, oh. wanted oh. to combat all like the tourism so and okay. people coming in okay. and getting jobs in Seattle. So it's the Seattleites. Touche, Seattle. Seattle. Don't Seattle like us. Seattle it's not our fault. They just don't like us. Xenophobic Seattleites. Okay. Yeah. Sat- satellites. <laughs> just, just change it to Xenophobic Seattleites Day. Yes. <laughs> Lastly, Monday is National Apple Dumpling Day, which, mm. if you haven't had an apple dumpling, is they're awesome. Completely ridiculous. And you can make those yeah. at home as well. You got you to try they're it, especially because there's a day for it. Gotta it is it. Citizenship Day and it's Constitution Day. So we're celebrating Perfect. the signing of the Constitution. Wait, that, that's on Monday, too? On Monday, yes. Cool. Uh, so that should do it for the holidays this week. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Thanks, Dave. Now let's turn to Grant to see what events are happening around campus. So you can see. Good evening, Wolfpack. Here's a look at what's going on at NC State. On Wednesday, September 12th, there will be a special presentation of Chasing Sarasota in Witherspoon Student Theater from 7 to 9 p.m. The movie tells the story of the Portland Rhinos 2011 Ultimate Frisbee season. This exclusive engagement will have a screening of the feature-length film, a fun and personal Q&A with the director, and access to Chasing Sarasota merchandise at the event. Tickets are $2 for students and $9 for the general public. Also on Wednesday, NC State's Office for Institutional Equity and Diversity will be hosting the Living Legends series, The Untold Stories of St. Agnes Hospital and Witherspoon Student Center from 5 to 6 p.m. Later in the evening from 7.30 to 10 p.m., award-winning American science fiction and fantasy writer Andy Duncan will be giving a public reading in the Studio Theater of Thompson Hall. Beginning Thursday, September 13th, the movies Brave and Seeking a Friend for the End of the World will begin playing in Witherspoon Student Theater throughout the weekend. Go online for movie times. There will be a special showing of Disney's Tarzan in Witherspoon Student Theater starting midnight on Friday, September 14th. Admission is free to the public. Also on Friday will be Sal Sabor, celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month from 7 to 9 p.m. in Tally Student Center. On Saturday, the political comedy troupe, The Capitol Steps, is coming to Stewart Theater at 8 p.m. Admission is only $5 for NC State students. Go online for more ticketing prices. For On the Triangle, I'm Grant Buckner, 88.1 WKNC. Wraps up all we've got for you this week. I'm really excited for that Tarzan news, by the way. From all of us here, here at Island Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that just made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. And until next week, everyone, good night.